Welcome to another edition of Sports Meets Money, where our business is sports. My name is Ale, a.k.a. Ale Suave, and I'm joined with my brother. Med, a.k.a. Marketing Medi. And today is uh, is a different day for us. We're not really well-versed in this uh, atmosphere or this realm of sport, if you will. Uh, today, we'll, we will be covering... F1 Miami, which is literally happening as we speak. We uh, we had a weird scheduling issue. However, <laughs> don't worry. It'll still be in your algorithm shortly. So I think I'm going to actually kick this one off. Ali, I want to do something a little bit different here. Okay. So, you know, we know people, which thank you all for listening. We've seen a lot of growth, actually, on our numbers. Yeah, I was like... Yeah. yeah, we won't. We can't disclose actual numbers right now. However, thank you all for your actual care and listening. So here's the thing: we are looking at something unique. Like I said, we're talking about F1. Yes. I. Uh, I mean, I speak rich a little bit. I'm not there yet, you know. But mm-hmm. I understand the language of F1 in terms of the money. But I want. I want you, as somebody who doesn't know racing at well, mm-hmm. instead of us being the experts today to guide somebody through, yeah. I want you to represent. The listenership of sports meets money and represent America. The average American who is probably worried about the NBA playoffs right now or the NHL uh, playoffs as well. Shout out to the Dallas Stars. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a couple questions here. We're gonna, welcome to Marketing Medi's Lecture Hall, ladies and gentlemen. Good. I got my notebook. I got my notepad, my pen ready. Yeah. Okay. Here's the deal. Very first thing, right? We're going to get into the concept of it. But first... Ali, when you think racing in America, not F1, just racing in America throughout your life, mm-hmm. what what images have popped up in your mind? I think of NASCAR and beer. Beer? Okay. Um, <laughs> just like a, you know, just the average Joe going out to watch NASCAR races or uh, uh, what's his name? That dude from Home Depot. Joey Logano? Yeah. I know that's you know that's what I remember. Yeah, it is Joey Logano. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you got NASCAR, you got beer. Yeah. Um, beer is a big market here, so especially in Texas. So, all right, NASCAR. What do you think is like the average NASCAR viewer? Because it, it doesn't seem to be you. No, right? I would think of it to be like a older male, Caucasian, older Caucasian male. Uh, I wouldn't think like somebody our age would just willingly go out to a NASCAR series or whatever and go watch it. But I know just looking at my screen, it's usually older Caucasian people. Would you possibly also add more Midwestern or Southern kind of country folk? Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, but I love country folk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. That's actually a common perception. Yeah. Um. You know, in terms of when we buy sell a product, we talk about buyer perception. How does the buyer perceive it? Um. This is more of a consumer perception because it's service, obviously, in NASCAR, mm-hmm. of selling tickets to a physical race. So, there's a marketing concept called, basically, Ackman's STP. It is how organizations figure out what their ideal consumer is. Okay. So for NASCAR, that seems to be their bread and butter, right? Yeah. Like the if older they're gonna people, market. Yeah. It would market to pretty much roughly what you're describing. The as older. Caucasian persuasion. Uh, okay. No, that's interesting. <laughs> I don't know. No, no, that makes sense. Okay, so here's what it means. 
it stands for segmenting, targeting, and positioning. And basically what okay. that is, is how do we segment our market? So let's talk about racing now and let's tie in F1 slowly as a build up here. Okay. We kind of want to give the listeners a framework of what's going on. And overall, our theme, just like the recap episode yeah. of Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis, there's actually some evolution going on in American racing culture. That's why I kind of want to expand. That's that. what I'm saying. Like, I feel like just off the research I've done, I'm more like, now I'm a little bit more invested into like the F1 and actually like one day, like later in the year, we'll be going to one of these events. So, you know, I don't want to cut you off, but no, you're it's good. exciting. Yeah. Um, basically, what ends up being as how we segment. So we talk about there's different types of racing. Now, does F1 seem like a different type of fan? Before you did your research, did it seem like the average F1 fan was not like the average fan for, let's say, a NASCAR? I would say no. I think the fans of the F1 were actually very different, like more relatable to like our age group and our type of like even relating to our types of likes as well. So part of that is because of how we market it as a market person myself. So here's what happens. And we might as well put my degree to use at some point here anyways. Um, the segment part is trying to figure out what segment of a market we want. So there's different types of fans and racing, as we just kind of hinted at right here. Yeah. Based off your perception. Perception. There we go. The next thing is targeting. So we have to figure out how we want to target this. Mm -hmm. Now, we might yeah. want to go ahead and segment by demographics. Mm -hmm. You know, race, ethnicity, regionality is one. Yeah. Psychographics, which are more so your lifestyle stuff, you know. If you think of F1, have you ever seen F1 and figured, oh, that looks like some old money kind of more flashy, maybe European, like luxury racing stuff? Yeah, like that's exactly how I view it. It's like literally if you look at the name of the racers in NASCAR and the names of the racers in F1, you'll see the diversity right there. When I get in a lot of Bubba Wallace's in F1. <laughs> Bubba Wallace is a great name. Hey, man. Like... I remember somebody used to call me Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Yeah, it's just awesome. Yeah. Right? You get, it's like an honor right there. You have Sir Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen as your biggest racers in today's world. Yeah. One. So here's what happens. You segment based off lifestyle usually, mm -hmm. which if you look at the lifestyle of what you described could be the average NASCAR listener, you yeah. would then uh, go ahead and market NASCAR to the lifestyles of that listener. Yeah. What are they like? They likely like beer, probably mm -hmm. certain main American brands of beer. Let's not name them because we don't get paid for this. Yeah. Um, and a few other things within that lifestyle. So you would segment to that. Next thing is targeting it. We have to target our market to our market. Mm -hmm. We've selected it. We're going to figure out what are their characteristics, like really deep diving into yeah. within that sub market we found. The last thing is the P in STP. It's called positioning. We have to position ourselves mm -hmm. to identify with that target market. Because anybody can say, hey, I sell burgers and fries. Do I sell burgers and fries at a gourmet place? Or do I sell burgers and fries at a very low discounted rate that you can get 24-7 at a drive-thru? If they logo that's red and yellow, okay, I think there's only a couple brands left, so I won't, I'll leave it at that. Mm. But you know what I mean? We yeah. have to position ourselves towards a certain target market we want. Yeah. Here's the issue here. F1 has actually avoided marketing in America historically. Hmm. And to a younger crowd. So, very old F1 execs up until about the time we were in high school, actually, 
were of the brain of, you know what, let's not market and push this towards the Americas. Let's not push it towards younger people in general. Yeah. You know, it's seen as a prestige brand. Versus NASCAR seems like a family outing, I'll be honest. Yeah. So I think what's interesting within that is that there's been a massive shift. And it goes into what I mentioned about the idea of evolving. Mm-hmm. They realized how do we go ahead, and here's the big difference. They realized how do we go ahead and market to this upon a certain moment. And that moment changed the evolution of racing. Yeah. It is Liberty Media had purchased F1 in about 2016. And they mm-hmm. did it for you know a few hundred million to the rights of it. I think it might have even been a billion. Let's see here. Oh, wow. They used 301 million of their own cash. However, in total, they used 4.6 billion um, dollars oh. of total funding to acquire the rights to F1 under Delta Top Co., which is some other stuff going on here. It's a bunch of VC talk here. Yeah. So because of that, new ownership, they figure, all right, how do we capitalize on the IP or intellectual property yeah. of F1? Why don't we market to America? It's so many people. There's about 330 million Americans. It's a good market. And Americans love to spend their money. So. And we love sports on average. Yeah, that's true. We will watch a lot of random sports. Midnight, ESPN2, I'll watch whatever's on if I'm bored. <laughs> so here's what ends up happening. They realize, all right, we need to figure out how to go ahead and identify the American market. So they segmented it to a region. Mm-hmm. They decided they're going to target this. They're building characteristics. How do we change how racing is perceived? Well, buddy, I'll tell you this. Netflix. Mm. They did Drive to Survive, I believe, or Drive to Success, yeah. the name of the series. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Over the past few years, they started this Netflix series following certain drivers around um, the entire journey of an F1 season and mm. really getting to buy into the story and the journey of each driver as they yeah. try to get to success traveling across the world week after week, racing, mm-hmm. showing the endurance needed to be a race car driver. Yeah. And you know what, buddy? The results are remarkable. So let me ask you this. Before I pull up the numbers and get into the puzzles, I want to ask you, Ali, over the past few years, have you seen F1 trend up more since this sale that's happened? Uh, I would say so, especially even in like this current year. I've seen it just like – pop it kind of feels like it's popped out of like from something small and it's just turned into something so big that everybody wants to go to yeah it's it's like the thing to do now it almost feels like the uh the not okay i'm not gonna say clout i'm not gonna disrespect it but like it seems like it has to be a thing to do mm-hmm. the who's who of richer people sports personalities the entire social class yeah seem to go there i mean yeah when you see like who pulls up there you're like, you see like Jeff Bezos, you see all these people that are like, you know them, like people are, you know who Jeff Bezos is, you know who this athlete is, you know Elon's who this, there. Elon's there, there's athletes there, I forgot, I'm not even going to throw their name out there, they're disrespected, but you know, people that we know are going there versus like if we were to say NASCAR and we look at the people that go there, I don't think I'd be able to like, like they'd probably say a name and I'd be like, uh who's that and then everybody would just look at me like how do you not how do you not know who this person is but f1 everybody that goes there as far as like the top tier people those famous people we know them and they go there and here's the reason why like i mentioned a lot of that is due to drive to survive ali if you pick a random number how much do you think since that show premiered in 2019 on netflix 
how much do you think fandom in America's grown for Netflix uh, for uh, F one? What do you mean as a number, like a percentage? Yeah, just random percentage. I would say it probably increased by at least fifty. Fifty. Yeah. I wish actually it's thirty three, but you're super close about one thing. Yeah. Fifty three percent of in twenty twenty two actually fifty three percent of all new F one fans in the United States mm-hmm. said that they were inspired to watch it and actually care about the sport after watching Drive to Survive. Mm. Think about the... That's movie. crazy how that translates to, like... And it's become a trend. Yeah. I mean, golf's done it. Um, there's a new show this summer on Netflix following Patrick Mahomes and a few other quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. They're trying to go ahead and do what basically Steve Jobs did masterfully. He wanted yeah. you to buy into the story of it, of a yeah. product. He wanted you to believe in something beyond just utilizing it. I can tell you my phone's better than yours, and this person can tell you all that stuff. Steve Jobs' idea was we're going to make them believe in the story behind the product. And this is very similar. Yeah, I feel like, and with those types of shows that you that you mentioned, I feel like a, a lot of us in the back of our minds, we ask ourselves, like, what would it take for me to be on that level? And then now they're making this type of content that allows you to see it. And then when you see it, you respect it. And it makes you cherish the these events even more because you're now more invested into it because you've seen the work that goes behind it. And now you're finally seeing it all come together. And, you know, right now, what's his name? Verstappen, he's, he's leading right now. So it's... Shout out to Max. You're right. Would you say that it's drawing you closer to the sport? I would you say know, yes. Yes. I want to focus on those words specifically because those are the closing words of basically the CEO of Formula One Group. Mm. Once Liberty Media bought it, they got a former... 21st Century Fox exec to come in and be their CEO. This is a statement from Chase Carey. Oh, wow. It's more than putting a race on a 60-inch TV screen Mm -hmm. and letting it take care of itself. People walk around today with televisions in their pockets, so you have to provide the material for them to engage with, be it the sport, the teams, drivers, the heroes. Mm -hmm. They want to be closer. closer. Yeah. I feel like (laughs) the first sentence was like a jab at NASCAR's like, don't just make them go race. Yeah. Like, have put a story behind it. Put something, like, make the people more invested to it so that they can love it even more. We love to, especially in America, we love to root for an underdog story, mm-hmm. right? The way we even frame our founding of this nation is the underdog story. Yep. You know, we love that. And they did it so perfectly. It's not just a jab at NASCAR, but it's almost like, hey, this is what's different now that Liberty Media's bought F1. Yeah. And... Yeah. They put their money where their mouth is, you know, invested everything, and now it seems like a massive They're success, making a lot of money, yeah. Which leads us to today. And F1 Miami. Mm-hmm. Ale, Miami is a great city. Miami can do a lot of things for you. Yeah. But tell the listeners now, what is F1 doing for Miami? Oh, man. So uh, I was looking into it, and they did five years of negotiations. Uh and finally, April of this year, uh, Formula One announced it signed a 10-year deal with the Hard Rock Stadium, uh, which is where the Miami Dolphins play at. Uh, so it will bring uh, that event to the Miami Gardens and will uh, is estimated to bring in a, a $400 million economic impact for the city of Miami. And on top of that, 
the event is bringing 4,000 new jobs. And according to the promoters of the F1 event, Miami F1 event, there's going to be around an estimated 35,000 local hotel bookings. Uh, also, yeah. Also, uh, I was reading in the local newspaper, uh, Orlando Centennial, that um, the race, which is literally circled around the stadium, will generate as much money, if not more, than the entire Miami Dolphins regular season. You can't tell me. Stephen Ross, mm-hmm. the Michigan man himself, oh, yeah. is banking more off one weekend of racing yep in the entire dolphins season and that's because the dolphins made the playoffs they even made the playoffs and they're still saying yeah no nah, this weekend outside of our home stadium we're still going to make as much if not more money this you know with this event man you know what now i see why he wanted to go and poach tom brady <laughs> he needs more money at his right head. right he's like do you know how much i make off a weekend <laughs> the lights still on. Tua fixed it. I'm kidding. Yeah. Shout out to Tua. Man, that that's pretty interesting though. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's like what's in it for the city. Yeah. What's in it like for the event? Like, what's what do I win if I find one? So, the crazy thing for me, what I found out about F1 is that they don't pay the racers prize money, which traditionally you would do in NASCAR. No, the racers, they're signed, uh, they have signed contracts with the teams that they represent. So they're basically on a salary. And obviously, in their contract, they probably throw in like, uh, if I win, I get X amount bonus. And so uh, one of the racers that just to get an idea of how much these racers actually make uh, a racer that I feel like uh, all of us can relate to. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, he makes about uh, he made about sixty five million dollars from his Mercedes contract, and uh, it is estimated that his per race salary is close to three million dollars. The goat. Yeah, so Hamilton. I'm saying we all know him. I knew him. So, and anyways, the prize money though overall, since we now know the the prize doesn't go to the racer, so where does it go? Well, it's divided into two, with one half divided amongst the top 10 ranked teams in the championship based on the race results. The other half of the money goes to the shareholders and the Formula One group. The primary prize money is calculated at around uh, 47.5% of Formula One's profits. And this was the kicker for me. On top of all that splitting of the money, Ferrari actually receives an estimated uh, 2.5% of the prize money. But that could that percentage could uh, be increased at any time. Uh, and the 2.5% payment to this prestigious company and um, upper echelon brand was a special deal agreed upon with the F1 group because they felt that Ferrari is the most prestigious and oldest team in the sport and should be kept happy. Yeah. I got some personal beef with Ferrari won't discuss here, but But I just wanted to, you know, round that out by saying a successful driver in F1 can earn a lot of money. And we saw that with Lewis Hamilton, 65 million. Especially when F1 is making uh, over $2 billion in revenue. So, 
Although race winnings are not paid to the drivers directly, instead, the, the racing teams pay the drivers' salaries, and F1 drivers receive additional bonuses, as mentioned previously, through their sponsorships, opportun- uh, op- their sponsorship opportunities and contractual agreements and endorsements rather than the race prize money from F1. That's just all for the teams and the organizers of the event. Man, okay, so that is... That's interesting. Okay. And put and don't forget, Ferrari gets their two and a half percent cut just for being a Ferrari. I'm actually a team Mercedes fan in racing. I know I know just a little bit. Yeah. Um, plus I'm like I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan. So Yeah, I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan, but I relate more to the Red Bull team. So I'm going for that team. Plus Sergio Perez just came up and represented the the Raza, so you know, I, I'm not mad at that. Um uh, no, apparently Red Bull is kind of controversial. However, before yeah. I get into Red Bull and every other team here, basically, did you ever, this is I know, did you ever see Lewis Hamilton, I think this is during the pandemic, in Brazil? I believe I did because, I mean, I was locked in the house. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. I remember seeing him. For those who yeah. don't know, he literally, there's some random issue, some crap. Not as far as like an engineering flaw, whatever. Yeah. Because each vehicle, we'll get into it in the future. The design specs, like, have to be perfect. There's a slight issue. So they made him have, like, I think a delayed time where he was, like, starting at the very last. Mm. He, no one in the audience, by the way, because it's a pandemic, wins it, like, almost last minute or something. Like, he is heated. That was, like, almost a revenge game mm. for Lewis Hamilton. At that point, I realized, okay, you know what? I'm a fan of this guy. Yeah. And he's a Mercedes guy. I understand Yeah, I this. think I remember I read that story. So, here's the thing about teams, though. We would think about racing because you see podiums and stuff as, like, individuals, which is true. Whereas yeah. Lewis Hamilton, uh, Michael Schumacher was, I don't think F1, but he's considered the GOAT up until Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. It's so team-based, and that's what you're kind of talking about with the payouts and everything else. Yeah. It's interesting. So, like, teams actually have – Two drivers at a time. You got a few reserve drivers in case you might get sick or something. Yeah. And then what's weird is the point system is I only not watch soccer. So that's kind of the best way to relate to it. Mm-hmm. Every race, you get points, right? So think about almost like a league table yeah. for Prem, La Liga, anything else. Okay. So pretty much the winner receives 25 points, second place, 18. And then it's like 15, 12, 10, 8, 6, 4, 2, 1 for like positions 3, 2, 10. Right? There's some yeah. breakdown of that. You get one additional point if you had the fastest lap. Only if you were in the top 10. Mm. So if you were quick on one lap, then you just, hey, it wasn't your day, no point awarded. Mm. What I think is interesting is that point isn't just to the racers, it's also to a team. Yeah. So at the end of the season, the driver with the most points wins that season. Okay. However, the team with the most points wins the Constructors' Cup. And here's why you being into Red Bull is super interesting right now. Okay. Um, not everyone likes Red Bull right now. I don't know the exact reason. We'll probably get into it in the future because it's very interesting. Okay. Uh, drama and politics. But Lewis Hampton, like I mentioned, Team Mercedes. Yeah. But Red Bull has pretty much over the past few years, yes, there's some other drivers that mix in. But realistically, it's always been past two, three years, Max Verstappen representing Red Bull yeah. and Lewis Hampton representing Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Third place in a lot of these races, and now like second, even first in some of these races, your boy Sergio. Yeah, who's also Team Red Bull. Yep. So 
what's weird is Lewis Hamilton, right? Let's say he wins an entire uh, season by himself. Mercedes could not even win, possibly, well, because, because second and third constantly yeah. is both Red Bull guys. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting, dude. Yeah, just like the whole dynamic of how the money split, how you actually win in this sport is very different, but it's understandable, you know, because, you know, you're, you have your teams and they pick their guys. They sign their guys to these contracts. They go out and they race and you hope they get on the podium and stack up those points. So at the end of the day, they can get that cut. You know, like I mentioned before, the top 10 teams, they receive the bigger end of the of the prize money and the rest, you know, they figure that out. But yeah, just like you said, it's definitely a different dynamic with yeah. the points and all that. Like, man, like I'm thinking now if I'm in third place or if I'm in second, it's like, hey, should I not get first? But if I can cut off, if my teammate's in first and I'm second, yeah, that's like, should I just try to make sure the guy in third who's tailing me right now doesn't get anything? Like, should I slightly cut him? Not in a cause and crash way, yeah. but like, you know, slow him down on the curves and everything. Yeah. So I can ensure we're at least one and yeah, two. Yeah, we're one and two. I still get silver at the podium. Yeah, so it's because in NASCAR, like, let's bring it back to that. Like, NASCAR, you want to win. You want to get first. You want to hold that cup for yourself and your team, obviously. But first and foremost, you're going to be holding that cup. You're going to be the first one touching the cup. And you'll be receiving some type of purse, some prize money for getting first place. But in F1, it's no, this is our team. We want our team to be the best team at the end of the season. That way, not only will we all be compensated, but we all can have a piece of that contractor's cup. Yeah. Okay, so before we kind of wrap up here, just to, I want to rehash some of this stuff. Now that we've presented info to you, the average listener, yeah. Ali, if once more you can graciously act as the average American and also the average listener of Sports Meets Money. Okay. Thank you all for listening, by the way. Yeah. I want to go ahead and revisit what I was talking about earlier with a few brief sentences, and I want you to tell me, based off information you've researched and what we've discussed here, mm-hmm. if any of these things have been done correctly. So let me go back up to the very first questions I had here. Mm-hmm. Here we are. So we talked about segmenting, targeting, positioning. Yeah. Do you feel like since Liberty Media is purchased it, right? Um, answer whatever survey style answer you like on a scale. Okay. Do you feel like since Liberty Media purchased it, that you feel like they did a good job and segmenting towards america yes do you feel like they did a pretty good job and like targeting it very successfully i do i really do i could get into uh especially when you know people are age um when we think of going on vacation we think about oh miami or florida or california but now that they have this miami event so i'm pretty sure a a lot of people like our age are probably going out there and like hey you know what there's an f1 going on let's go you know bezos is out there and all these people that i really mess with are out there so why not you know and i've never experienced it before so i'm just gonna try it out if i like it i like it if i don't i don't yeah i mean they've expanded to and really getting them shareholder of this there's three f1 cities in austin usually it's like F1 and then insert name of country. We can't even do F1 America. You know what was crazy about Austin? It's like, I remember back then, nobody would talk about like racing like that, even though we had the, the Circuit of the Americas. Yeah. But I think ever since F1 started popping up, people have been more like into it, like bit t- talking to me about it. I'm like, oh, wow. I mean, 
Maybe this year, well, not maybe, we are this year going to go to an actual race, so. Yeah, that scholarship is about my ticket. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so do you feel like, to wrap it up, in terms of, like, positioning themselves as racing, but outside of the common known culture racing, do you yeah. feel like they position themselves as, like, the racing culture to follow in America? Hmm. I feel like for somebody our age, yes, but I still feel like it's 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 it is definitely different, and I would follow it. I'm I'd I'd follow it, but I'd it'd be hard to convince somebody like how we mentioned earlier the older yeah. audience and the Caucasian persuasion, older, you know, yeah, the I people mean, that are already in NASCAR. You know, I think you're right though about um just growing with like the fact that. Sorry, it's a little bit sick here. I think, um, for those who don't know, we had to do a retake because I've been getting a little sick. But basically, I think you're right, Ali, when you're just talking about right now that, like, it's better to market to younger people, you know, diversity is a thing. You know, NASCAR does have an issue, they actually have over the past few years, about diversity. Um, now that F1's here, anybody of any audience, you know, you can be young, Caucasian, Hispanic. Asian, black, um, probably forgetting some people here, Europeans of different kinds. I don't yeah. know. Um, throw me in there. I'm pretty racially ambiguous, according to my brother. It's weird. Um, <laughs> shout out, Kisel. I know you're listening to this one. So here's the thing. I think they really are doing a good job because marketing to a younger audience is always a goal to an mm-hmm. extent, obviously. You know, the NFL is trying it. They're all trying to market to underserved markets for them. We talked about women's sports in that aspect. Yeah, It's a massively growing thing. Uh, I think the best sports to look at is what the NBA does. Mm-hmm. The NBA has the youngest like audience market. They yeah. have the largest market sure, within a younger sports audience. And it's not just because basketball is so accessible. Yeah. But it's also because think about the culture around it. Music, sports games, like yeah. everything like they make it accessible. Sneakers are rooted in your favorite basketball players. Yeah. Like there's a whole culture behind it. I think F one early on building this culture behind it, yeah. position themselves as the not say hip like it's the 60s, but like the in the now or the fad currently. The modern, modernization of yeah, NASCAR, I guess. Yeah. Or, or racing, yeah. the new wave, of the modernization of what racing is. That's a good way of saying it. Even when you're about to say the new wave, because that's what I'm talking about earlier when I mentioned like it's almost thematic for today's episode where it really is an evolution mm-hmm. of uh, racing, to be honest, dude. And I think, like, they're doing it pretty well. You know, yeah. I'll appreciate you for being the, uh, I'm not going to disrespect you, call you a guinea pig, but roughly the uh, the average American student participant. Yeah. Thank you for reflecting society, Alec. You're doing I did my best. I didn't want to uh, throw anybody under the bus, but I was just being honest. <laughs> that, that's all I asked for here. Yeah. So I think um, it's a pretty relatively short episode, but. We kind of cover a lot of what we want to do, introduce people to the culture of it. Yeah. Before we get into Ale, I want you to think about your, if I can get, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds here in a little bit before we wrap. Mm-hmm. I want like, just like the last episode, I want your 30 second recap and final thoughts. Okay. Before I do, just so I don't put you on spot too much. Yeah. I think this is such an inviting and welcoming time mm-hmm. in racing that it's for people who are new to it. There's a culture behind it. There's constant video game promotion about it on yeah. Twitter now. It's a good time if you've been curious about racing that 
if you've been unsure about going out of your comfort zone and going to something that seems like you're solidified culture, yeah, that foundation has been set yet in America. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a really good time for the average person to get into racing. Yeah, because there's like, like you said, there's not a set culture audience. There's nothing we can like point to, like how we can now with NASCAR, as we mentioned earlier, the their older Caucasian. Pers- the older Caucasian persuasion rules that nation of NASCAR. Yeah. So, and you know, and so right now F one they don't have anybody that we can say definitively that this is their audience. They're still trying to figure that out. Right. So, so if I had to give you, I'm pretty much almost gotten to a thirty seconds rule here at that point. Then, mm. so here's the thing: Would you believe? And this is almost hinting at a future episode. Okay. Would you believe that within the world of formula racing, there actually is a variety of racing, not just leagues of one, two, three, you know, like almost like a developmental league. Yeah. Work your way up. Would you believe there's alternate types of racing available for different audiences? I mean, I believe it, but I, I haven't heard it. <laughs> I so haven't heard There it. is such a thing as Formula E. There's a lot mm. more racing audiences being built on electric vehicles mm-hmm. even some hydrogen racing is probably gonna happen soon honestly the way it's going so at one point around pandemic like most things got shut down there was a point where almost like a certain rather famous video game character franchise racing games <laughs> um give us a bag people so <laughs> sorry shameless plug in that you know sponsors are welcome so here's the thing they did a thing where it's almost like audience can vote on who gets boosted during mm. these digital races and stuff. Yeah. And I think what was really interesting within that's also like you get that idea of like, okay, if I go down certain paths or whatever, like how do I engage people through new media? How do I get fan interaction? Yeah. Right? Everything's on your screen in your pocket, like the CEO just said. Mm. How do we get you to buy in? And I feel like for those who are looking to say, I would love racing, but you know, I don't want to see people wasting fuel constantly. There are EV-based racing, and I think mm-hmm. Formula as a whole, outside of the main flagship F1, yeah. does a good job of attracting alternative audiences. So that's also growing. I think the average person looking to get into some sort of racing, if you have an environmental, um, not to say conscience, but like environmental stance about this specifically, yeah. I think that helps me personally. I try not to be as pollutant as I once was, mm-hmm. and I found that to be a great outlet for me to support something without, you know, kind of going against what is a bit of a moral stance for me. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Do you think there's anything as, going back to your reflecting average, American is not a racing do you think EV racing, without a lack, without losing the quality of racing, mm-hmm. do you feel like that could help out? I think that that is going to bring in, like you said, an alternative audience. And I think the plan behind that, just literally just thinking out loud here, uh, they're trying to attract this uh, environmentally conscious audience and hopefully one day be able to say, look, we're for, this is the formula group. We ca- We obviously care about what we put out into the air or whatever we're we think about these things that's why we put on events like this well now that you've seen where that we can do that and we're able to do that basically telling them or asking them would you be willing to watch one of our main f1 events 
And I feel like that'll be the the hook, right? A we're environmentally conscious. We're envir we're envir environmentally, you know, uh, conscious. Basically, what I said. But also, now that you know that, would you be willing to? Since you know that we actually care, watch this event that we're hosting, the biggest event in our group, which would be the F one Grand Prix that they have. I think it's very interesting. Well, to kind of wrap up everything, I think F1 Miami, great time. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's Miami. But beyond that, I feel like there's this great evolution that I'm looking forward to you and I being able to see the uh, results of as these next few days, the effect on earned media, essentially, on yeah. social media. Yeah. But also seeing how this builds into what changes from what we've seen this week on social platforms yeah. to this fall and I believe October. Yeah. When there's the Austin race going on, which is a bit more personal for us because we live in the area. Yeah. And so what we learned today was like F1 is growing rapidly. There's a lot of, there's billions of dollars behind it. And the way that the money is split between these teams and racers is not traditional. The marketing behind it, not traditional. So like you said, at the end of the day, F1 is growing rapidly and, and it's doing it in a way that we don't traditionally see the sport of racing do it, and which is leading it to like grow exponentially. And I can't wait to see what happens within the next year. And we'll definitely circle back and talk about that. And that being said, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sports Meets Money, where our business is sports. I've been your co-host, Marketing Medi, joined by my brother, Ale Suave. We will see y'all next time. Cut! <laughs>